Hey, Barstool listeners, you can find every episode of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball nips. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball nips and have a great time on the golf course. First time, long time, giddy on up. I'm Smitty. We got Roan. We got producers Booze and John Kelly. And uh, we also have uh, an outright apocalyptic, apocalyptic circumstance that continues to basically bleed the life out of every uh, alive soul in the Philadelphia area. And that is when the fuck, how the fuck, who the fuck is going to take Carson Wentz off the Philadelphia Eagles hands? Because by all reports, it's supposed to happen, but it hasn't. And we'll go through those reports, whether they are real false or just imaginary leaks that Howie Roseman throws out to the media, which are happening, by the way, at a rate that is embarrassing to every single media person and individual in the Philadelphia area who basically just wants a straight answer from this organization, but continues to be told that it's raining and getting a golden shower on everyone's faces. Roan makes some sense, por favor. So it happened so fast. Um, just last week, we were talking about can maybe the Eagles get a first round pick for Carson Wentz. And then by Friday, it seemed like they were about to get two first round picks for Carson Wentz. And it, it, everything looked incredible in the world. Like, were we going to get Tariq Cohen? Are we going to bring back Nick Foles from the Bears and a first round pick for Carson Wentz? And I honestly was living in the reality that that might happen before the Super Bowl, it felt like. Uh, it didn't wind up happening. And as we step back a little bit, it seems like it's really these that first wave of reports was Howie Roseman trying to drum up as much interest and make it seem as appealing as possible for someone to try and trade for Carson Wentz. Like there actually was a legitimate trade market for Carson Wentz. Then we didn't see anything happen. There was a chasm of inactivity. It bubbled up that the Colts might be a little bit more in the mix than the Bears. Maybe it was a two-team bidding war. Then we heard other teams had gotten into the mix. But now we're seeing those offers of multiple first-round picks come crashing back to reality. Maybe it's a first-round pick. Maybe it's not even a first-round pick. But it seems like it's so obvious that they want to trade him that Carson Wentz's time in Philadelphia is done. There's a couple things that go through my head. First of all, I'm becoming sadly apathetic to the situation because I just don't know who or what to believe that's out there. I mean, you've had, like you said, reports last week that a a trade was imminent uh, that Monday or Tuesday after the Super Bowl, it was definitely going to happen specifically to the Colts, Bears, or some random team that just doesn't want to be identified. Wonder why Howie threw that one out there. And then absolutely 
nothing. And it's to the point where it's being reported today that the Bears are becoming very impatient. Apparently, the Colts offered two second rounders for Wentz. Uh, how he rejected that. And the Bears came back over the top with a slightly better offer. I don't even know what Natalie Engeloff reported with Tariq Foles and a first rounder was true, because if that was true, I think how he's taken that on the spot. And now the Bears are getting impatient to the point that they want to figure this shit out because Matt Nagy and the GM Pace, they're on the hot seat. They want to decide something going into free agency to see what they have to work with, to see what cap numbers they have to deal with. And if they, for some reason, pull out, or if somebody gets to Sean Watson, or there's another option on the table for, for the Colts or bears, the Eagles are basically left with their dicks in their hands because all the value, everything that Howie's trying to drum up, it's gone. It's kaput. So like, wait, what's going on? And, and, and another thing is there is, no real rush for Carson Wentz to get traded because he's not owed that bonus until mid was in March 13th or so, but something's got to give where you, you, you get value. And I, I, I just don't know who or what to believe or, or how it's going down. And I'm apathetic, Roan. I'm apathetic. I, I, Ready, I, I think that, you hit the nail on the head with one phrase, and that was dick in hand. We are just sitting here with our fucking dicks in our hand. And my nightmare scenario, the doomsday scenario, is that we sit with our dicks in our hands so fucking long that everybody else fucking gets their dicks fucking handed off to somebody else. And we go into next season dick in hand. Carson Wentz is still on the roster. Our fractured fucking locker room is carrying an albatross cap hit and, and a new coach who can't deal with two personalities who fucking, frankly, one of them doesn't like him. Carson Wentz obviously doesn't like him. He would have said something if he actually liked him or was going to buy into this. And so we acted like we had leverage at the beginning of this, like that we were going to get some kind of Matt Stafford grandfather offer, when reality is that's probably not going to happen. And honestly, I would probably take the two second-round picks. Oh, yeah. the, Eagles have, the Eagles have too many holes right now where we, we, need, we need at least four picks in the first three rounds because we need to get better at receiver or have some kind of weapon. We need better D-line help. We need linebacker help. We need safety help. We need cornerback help. I mean, we, we, there's too many holes. We need to start getting – the, the best offer that's on the table so we can have this stable draft pick so we can start rebuilding something. And you mentioned Wentz not liking Nick Sirianni. Uh, it, it was reported. Now, however true this is, I don't know because it seems unfucking believable but it was reported that Wentz is on a uh, talking relationship, a, a fine, fair relationship with Jeffrey Lurie, with Nick Sirianni, with the players. The only person he has completely ghosted in his life from the Eagles organization is Howie Roseman. He's not answering a single call from Howie Roseman, allegedly. And uh, for a quarterback to be that petty and for a general manager to be that dickish for this situation to happen is absolutely unbelievable, if it's true, if it's true. But the sad thing is, 
I can 100% see it being true. Carson Wentz is that petty. If he wasn't, he would have said something since the offseason, since he got benched. Howie Roseman is that much of a dick. He ousted Joe Banner. This is his fourth coaching regime in the last seven years. He has had problems with everybody. Him and Zach Ertz went at it on the field last season in front of the entire team. So I can see that situation absolutely happening. And it's, it's mind-boggling that it has come to this point for an organization that is valued at $3.4 billion. How does that happen? But here's my question. Do you blame, I mean, yes, he's being petty, but do you blame Carson Wentz for just completely ghosting Howie Roseman like this? I mean, the guy treated him like a ball of shit after paying him all this money, gave him the keys to the car, and then didn't let him drive it. I I tweeted out in jest that uh, if you blatantly miss on two comically wrong wide receivers and draft your backup uh, after giving that contract, yeah, I'd be a little pissed too. But in reality, uh, Carson is confirmed just from not – speaking out in general he's confirmed in my mind to just be a a big fucking baby yeah because at the end of the day some of this does fall on the guy who you paid all the money to yeah like we we you gave him the money but like uh at the end of the day he needs to give you something back for that money there needs to be some kind of transaction involved because if you're just paying him and then fucking you're blaming yourself for not giving him like the chance to succeed long enough. His chance to succeed was that fat fucking signing bonus that they gave him up front. He wasn't on like a Kirk Cousins deal where it was prove it every single year. It was all there was tons of money in the signing bonus. Like he million, has been given million, that seventy million, seventy million dollars yeah. guarantee. Seventy. Million. He had been given the vote of confidence. He had to do more with it. I, I mean, I don't really have like patience for hearing that Carson Wentz doesn't get along perfectly. I don't want to hear shit about him having a bad attitude. You have to have a good attitude when you're getting paid a hundred plus million dollars. You just have to do it. It's just that simple. You really have to. At the end of the day, you have also, to be like the fucking happiest guy in the world. There's this bullshit sentiment going around too that like Eagles fans are being too hard on Carson. It's like this guy, if there's 50 quarterbacks in the league, he'd be 52. He played that poorly. I don't think it's this case of we're running this guy out of town just like we do every other athlete. I think that's unfair. That's some bullshit. If anything, some outside reporters. If anything, we're giving guys like Carson Wentz and other superstars in this city too much better than that. We fucking held Markel Falta's balls while he pissed and fucked till the day he was traded. We gave him every single chance on earth. So fuck anybody for saying that we're just running people out of town. No, there's a complete opposite stance. Yeah, I think that we have the right to be upset with some of the people. And I think one of the people we have a right to be upset with is Howie Roseman. And uh, I don't think that, I don't. I just don't have the the uh, like energy to be throwing my hate behind Howie Roseman every single fucking week. Like I, I at some point, like I need to accept that he's going to be at the GM for at least another year and hope that he's making good decisions. Like I just need to hope that 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 there is going to be some kind of good decision in there or some kind of learning process from his mistakes. Like I, I, I just need to believe that because like I just can't. I'll fucking drive myself crazy if I just blame this dude every single week. On that thought process, I did a little self-reflection on my uh, loathing for Howie Roseman. And, uh, you know, there there are people out there that you just can't convince anybody uh, they're doing a single good thing, even though there probably are. Nobody is perfect, but nobody is like that bad. Hey, nobody's Hitler out there. Uh, Not comparing anybody to Hitler, but like, you know how people, some people out there would just 
trash Barack Obama, say he's the worst, he never did anything right. But then you say, well, he was president when, when they killed Osama bin Laden. They're, they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, he did that, right? There's like one objectively good thing that you can find out of anybody. And I went back and tried to find that one Osama bin Laden death, objectively great thing that Howie Roseman has done since the Super Bowl. And here's what I found. I, I broke it into three categories, drafting, free agency, and uh, waiver wire pickups, practice squad. Drafting. Now, granted, zero pro bowlers in the last seven years besides Carson Wentz. That's almost impossible to do. But in the past three years, he has drafted Miles Sanders. These are just wins in my mind. Miles Sanders, Jack Driscoll, who I think is going to be a fine player, Dallas Goddard in the second round, and Jordan Mailata in the seventh round. Those are confirmed wins. Andre Dillard still juries out, even though his time is like getting really close. And Avante Maddox, maybe. Fine player. Okay, so five decent players out of like 24 picks. Does that make up for his drastic misses of not picking Justin Jefferson, of of J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, of the Jalen Hurts situation? I don't know. But okay players, free agency, Javon Hargrave, Malik Jackson, Darius Slight. I'm okay with them. I'm okay with all three of them. Now, practice – now, does that – equal out the contracts he's given of Carson Wentz, Alshon Jeffries, and where the fuck goes on quarter to quarter with Jason Peters. I don't know who's to say and practice squad and waiver wire pickups. You got Travis Fulgram, Greg Ward, and Alex Singleton, three fine to possibly above average players that uh, Travis Fulgram, if he's actually given time to sniff the field could probably be somebody Alex Singleton, could be a decent linebacker, and Greg Ward would be a perfect fifth wide receiver on a playoff team, and that's fine. But does that outweigh them just outright releasing Rasul Douglas when they needed help in the secondary, who went on to have a great year for the Carolina Panthers, and guys like LJ Fort when they had zero linebackers on the team and – LJ Fort just gets cut and goes to the Ravens and, he, and he's, he's revered there. He's a, like one of their best players. Like I just, I'm trying to find that one moment. I'm trying to find that one thing since the Super Bowl, Howie Roseman has just like done right where I can give him credit. And like, out of everything that I mentioned, there's like a couple of things you feel good about, but it just doesn't, the bad outweighs the good so much, so much. So I- Smitty, as I'm thinking about what you just laid out there, which was a, a beautiful job of laying it out, and I think that I, I noticed two things that he seems like he's good at and that the Eagles management is good at and two things that they're not good at. Two things that they're good at. One is finding guys at the back of the draft, undrafted free agents, and guys to fill out their practice squad. They're, they're, they're guys that Alex Singleton's, Greg Ward's, Boston Scott's, guys who can rise throughout the organizations. And two is finding talent throughout the rest of the league. So guys like Alshon Jeffrey, when we brought him in, Jay Ajay, when we brought him in, uh, the guy, Hargrave, Jackson, Slay, all those guys, we identified good free agents, other good like trade prospects, and brought them in, in towards our team. Things that he's super terrible at are drafting guys at the beginning of the draft, realizing who the, the, the guy to get in the first round is, he has not been able to do that. I don't know if it's too many cooks or what the fuck the problem is, but he has not been able to draft well at the top couple rounds of the draft 
consistently hitting on draft picks like other organizations. Look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, first three rounders. All those guys are playing in the Super Bowl. That would be really helpful. Another thing that he is terrible at is learning how to manage the guys who are already on the team and being too loyal to players who are already on the team. The Alshon Jeffrey contract coming back to Deshaun uh, Jackson and giving him all that money. All this, all this sinking money into players because we had they, they were on the Super Bowl one time or like we had, we have some kind of fucking long lasting relationship with them. All of that has been a massive problem with Howie Roseman. He doesn't know when to say goodbye. He doesn't know how to break up with somebody. He doesn't know when to move on. So there are good things that he's doing, but the bad things are the fucking things that are weights around our ankles that are keeping us from being able to ascend as a franchise it's a mess boys it's a mess the house is on fire it's burning to the ground and the person trying to put it out is the arsonist that made it explode in the first place and even more so i hate that the owner of the freaking house is giving credit to said arsonist for putting out the fire it's about accountability jeffrey laurie it is about accountability, and you just keep giving this guy matches and gasoline like he's a fucking child, and he's burning your house to the ground. I'm it's done. a fact. No, it's a fact. You're, you have the right to be fired up. I just want this trade to happen. Honestly, where I'm at is I'm just checking my phone every fucking 15 minutes to see have they made this trade yet. Has it happened? So I can just move on mentally and start preparing for the next level of whatever this is going to be because this purgatory shit is not it. One of two things is going to happen, in my opinion. Either he's going to – either the Bears or Colts or somebody's going to panic and how he is going to get is at least one first-rounder. I don't think it's going to be much more than that, but uh, that's going to happen or we're going to be on March 13th and he's going to take a sixth rounder for Wentz. Now, now wait a minute. What no way if, my mind Wentz is going to be on this team. Come well, on. now, hold on. Say how he doesn't – because think about it. Like, yes, Wentz wants out. Yes, uh, you know, it might not look good if he stays, but the Eagles really don't have to trade him if they don't like the deal. So what happens – if Carson Wentz is on the team next year, what happens? It's already ashes and they're pissing on the entire house. <laughs> yeah. What, I mean, I the, the quarterback competition, like how is a quarterback competition going to go? Because whoever wins it is, has the shortest leash ever. Um, there's obviously going to be some favoritism for Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts is communicating with the coaching staff. It's like that gives him a leg up in a quarterback competition. I don't even think Carson Wentz wants any parts of that quarterback competition. He's like, this is your new toy? Fine. Go play with your new toy. I'm going to another city. I'm fucking leaving here. And at that point, I don't see if it happens, which I don't see it happening, why, why wouldn't they just play Carson Wentz and just either let him destroy himself or up his trade value in some way possible? Maybe they can dish them off in preseason i i just don't see how that's possible that the hole was already dug and and there's no way getting out of it it's halfway to freaking china it would be nice it would be nice if there was a situation where we could kind of hold on to him and see who gets like injured or like find out who who needs a quarterback that didn't think they were going to need a quarterback or something along those lines but because of the way that his contract is structured, if we hold on to him, we're like super on the hook for him. So it's like something has to happen within the next 30 days or who knows. But the thing is there something to, 
Sorry, Smitty. Is there something to be said about waiting for the draft and maybe how he's waiting for, you know, some of these rookie quarterbacks to get picked apart? I don't know if we're going to have like a traditional combine, but is he, like you said, the roster bonus is occurring before the draft, right? So he can't wait for the draft to, to maybe one team panics and gives you, offers you more. I think at that point, like Ron said, you're already on the hook for too much money. Yeah, he's borderline untradeable now. After March 13th, he becomes that much harder to get rid of. And that's not even – like, Zach Ertz is still in the books for two more years. He's not coming back next year. Like, they're going to get rid of him for something. And then you got the draft in which Howie is still in charge of. I mean, I, I cannot see a situation where Howie objectively has a good draft and anybody likes it because you're just going to question it no matter what. You're just going to question. There was an NJ.com article where they uh, suggested that there was another player on the Eagles that was going to be included in maybe one of the packages to the Colts, an undisclosed player who was uh, who was suggested to be in the package. Is there anybody on the Eagles roster that you even think is like off limits that you just wouldn't trade? No. Uh, no. I think is I there know. anybody? Is there anybody? Miles Sanders, maybe, because he's really your only. I mean, he's pretty much the only bright spot. That, I mean, that would be that would be tradable. That would be yeah. that would be worth anything. I, I I would like. Well, I mean, you can you can trade Fletcher Cox right now for some sort of value. yeah. And as much as I don't want to see uh, Cox uh, absolutely slaying lives in other cities, but like I, I can I can be okay with it happening if you get value because they're not going to be winning these these guys him brandon graham uh they're they're they're, you know on the wrong side of 30 like what's what's the point of keeping them around brandon brooks if you can get value for him he's off injured i i wouldn't like to see them trade lane because he is when healthy the one of the best starting tackles in the nfl so like you could rebuild around him without having to like bring in somebody else or a draft pick but everything and everybody would be up for grabs isn't that isn't that kind of sad that there's the entire roster is up for grabs isn't that kind of fucking depressing isn't that almost kind of an indictment of how the roster is built that there you have nothing to hang on to having options of draft picks would be better than everything you have yeah literally everything because even miles sanders sure he's he's definitely approaching his prime and uh is certainly fresh after getting 10 carries a game for the last two years. How long is he going to be willing to wait through a, a rebuild? Like three years from now, he's, he might not be in his prime anymore. So might not be trade working. everybody, trade everybody. Fucking get, let's get a hundred picks in this draft. Yeah. A hundred picks. All, all rookies. Can get one pro bowler. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. He maybe. still find a way to miss. Let's get into actually something worth living for. And that is your Philadelphia. 76ers who are 14 and 0 when Ben Simmons, Green, Seth Curry, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris start 14 and 0, number one team in the East, whooping up on Sacramento last night. More importantly, I don't care if Durant was out or not. Actually, I do care a little bit. More importantly, beaten up on the Brooklyn Nets Saturday night. Yeah, they had a little off evening against the Portland Trailblazers at home, but Ben Simmons wasn't playing. And I think that game, among everything else, kind of kind of gave the fans and Ben Simmons haters a little bit of a reason to shut up about Ben Simmons because you saw 
just how much of an impact he actually has when he's not there on the court. Yeah, he he pairs beautifully at the top of the key on defense, no matter who he's with. He makes them an elite defensive team, and he doesn't have to be a good three-point shooter to make them an elite three-point shooting team because the gravity that he creates, like the statistics show it fucking pretty plainly that the Sixers are way better at three-point shooting with Ben Simmons on the floor. And uh, it's awesome. It's awesome to watch. Even uh, just looking at the top of the standings, it's like us, one and a half games, Milwaukee, and then uh, and then the Nets, and then the Celtics, and then the Pacers, and all those teams are fucking hovering two games, one and a half games above 500. Like, we're clearing away the best team in the East, so I'm going to pose a question to you, fellas. Who of those teams scares you the most? Because you said the Nets, they didn't have Durant in that game. They didn't have Kyrie in that game either. That's a spooky squad. Uh, when you have all three of those guys together, I still like our matchup, but having three superstars is always terrifying. The Celtics have always been the bane of our existence, and their two young superstars are, outside of our two young superstars, one of the best pairings in the game. And then you look at uh, the Bucks, and it was supposed to be the Bucks. It was supposed to be Giannis last year and this year, but, I mean, does Giannis scare you? He'd really have to turn it on, and they haven't really put it together with Drew Holiday. So which of those teams do you, do you think is the scariest? I, I think the Nets will be the scariest because if you get those three healthy and cooking – and if they want to win, they're going to put everything in their power to win. Celtics, if, 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 the, if the Sixers are healthy, nobody is stopping and beat, especially on that team. You just can't. You just can't. And the Sixers historically haven't done too shabby against Giannis and the Bucks. So they really don't scare me when it comes down to it. If everybody is healthy. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. Like I would, I would borderline bench Embiid and Simmons and even Tobias at this point, like once every four games, I just would, I just would you didn't sacrifice maybe the number one seed. I just would. if you can end the season today for the Sixers and it would guarantee them the eighth seed, like I would just to maintain everybody's health, wellness, and prosperity because they're playing great. So good together right now that just like one little tweak in that, in how they're doing things right now, like scares the shit out of me because they're so perfect the way they are right now. Yeah. I love the way that they've been, uh, they've been even coached. Like last night they play against the Kings and the Kings are, the Kings are kind of good. Like the Kings are like uh, sneakily, like they have uh, some nice young talent on their team and uh, the Kings play super fast. And I think in under Brett Brown, we would try to counter their fast play with a slow down pace. And we would try to be like, all right, you guys are going to go fast. Well, we're just going to play our game. But Doc Rivers was like, fuck it. You guys are going to go fast. We're going to try and go fast. And we were flying up and down the court. We were fucking, we scored like 40 points in the first quarter. And we were giving up a lot of points. But at the same time, though, we can play at different speeds. And we can tailor our, our the way that we play two different teams. And I, that makes me 
think that we might be able to weather a little bit of storm, but Smitty, I'm on the same page as you in that I'm fucking terrified of, of someone getting hurt. I'm terrified of an injury because it just feels so good and so perfect. And I, I just would hate for this team to have to, to fight against those odds. Like they, they deserve how well they're playing. They deserve to be able to play at full strength. They deserve to have the NBA see what this team has built and to give everybody their best shot. The fucking Lakers are playing with AD and fucking LeBron. We deserve to have our two best guys. We deserve to have the full, uh, you know, the full lay of the land and have everybody healthy. Hey, all the credit in the world to, to Doc Rivers and Maury uh, for putting this team together. Last night, you even saw it, uh, what, 42 points in the first. They were up by like seven or 10. And then in the second, they actually – some way, somehow, we're trailing by like five going into halftime. And the past couple of years, I see them losing that game, especially like being around tied going into the fourth quarter. They clamp down in the fourth. They find ways to win against the Lakers. They found ways to win against the Nets. They found ways to win against the Celtics. Yeah, they didn't have Tatum, but they found ways to win in the end. And just don't get injured. Just please don't get injured. That's all I ask. Joel Embiid was plus 4,000. Uh, MVP heading into this year. Uh, I believe he's like around plus 600, 550 right now still. Uh, it's between in the odds books, him, uh, LeBron, Jokic, and Donick, pretty much. Top four. Who are you taking right now for MVP? I went down to the Barstool Sportsbook. I, I threw went down to the Barstool Sportsbook in Philly, and I, I got in on Embiid as MVP. I got in on Sixers coming out of the East, and I got on the Sixers to win the championship. I feel that Let's good go. about everything. I feel I feel fantastic about everything. Like, it's – it's why, why not? If this season I want to put my money where my mouth is, I want to get in the fucking mix. Like, it, I, I feel as good this season as I've ever felt about a fucking Sixers team, period. Like, that's as – I've felt as good. I This is – I want to be along for the ride in every way possible. I want to be in fucking mentally, spiritually, and financially. So I went through the fucking – through the through some bets down, and we're, we're doing it. I might fucking go down and throw – I might double down on fucking worse odds. The odds are going to get worse every day. Everybody's gonna get fucking wise to how good we are. We're sick. Uh, I, I I was thinking about putting. Well, I'm I'm taking a responsible break right now. But when I get back, uh, I will be putting money down on Embiid MVP. And I thought his odds would be a little bit higher. And I took a look at everyone else's stats. LeBron's still having a pretty good year. And Jokic, good God, that guy's yeah. just stats machine. He put up like 50, 15 and ten the other night. I, I didn't realize just how consistently baller that Serbian is. Yeah, he's a beast. And I think that uh, I think that it comes down to how well the Sixers play at the end of the year. If the Sixers are far and away the best team in the East, Embiid is going to win the award because they have a little bit of LeBron fatigue. They like to see someone new kind of rise up. We've seen that in MVP voting. And in the West, like – the Jazz are better than like the Jazz have the best record in the West and they don't have necessarily a clear cut MVP on their team. I think if the Sixers run away with the East, the voters will want to give it to Embiid. That's what I'm banking on. But he's also he is the MVP. He's fucking incredible. Oh, he definitely is more so uh, because if you take him off the team, the Sixers are below 500. Not below. I don't know. They're pretty close. No. Well, this year they definitely are in games he hasn't played. They're what one and four. Are they? Yeah, yeah they're yes. not good. They're not good. How to beat on the floor? 
Yo, quick, I like, quick note on uh, quick note on Brooklyn Nets. I, I follow Frank the Tank on Twitter, and my view of the Nets is extremely skewed now. I, he tweeted last night, "Well, another loss for the Nets to a shit team out of the playoffs." I looked it up. It was the second quarter, and they were down by like four. So I, I have no clue what. But I agree with Frank. I don't know what we're gonna get out of the Nets. I don't know where they're gonna be at the end of the year. I'm not worried about the Nets. I'm I'm with you, Rona. I'm all Team Sixers right now. Put your money where your mouth is. Now, do you see do you see Maury making any moves at the deadline just to maybe combat the risk of a Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, God forbid, getting hurt? And if so, what would that move be? Do we discuss this last week? If if he makes any moves, he just better make sure he's not giving anything up for it. Yeah, yeah, buyouts, buyout guys, guys that get bought out of their contracts, maybe someone who's traded for some uh, draft pick and then their new team isn't going to make the playoffs, so they buy them out or something. I want somebody that we're going to get on the cheap and we're not giving up something in the future because I like the roster composition right now. There's no reason to fucking tinker just to tinker, leave well enough alone or whatever the fuck that saying is. Right, they did the, the starting five, we mentioned 14 and 0, but even guys like Shake Furkan's playing He's frustrating to watch shoot sometimes. But Furkan's he was dunking last night. Furkan was dunking last night. I mean, that Portland game, I mean, granted, this is why I'm taking a responsible break. I had uh, Shake Milton like over 12 and a half points. Of course, he got 12 because Furkan, for some reason, was playing fucking 38 minutes chucking. But between Furkan, Shake, Dwight Howard, and uh, Maxie off the bench, like maybe, maybe, maybe. My opinion, if you could bring in someone who can really be a game-changing six-man or borderline starter and give up, like, maxi, like, it would need to be someone extreme like a Kevin Love. I'd still be willing to do that. But other than that, they better not trade anybody. Let maxi grow. Leave Maxi alone. I, don't, I don't try. Stop trying to throw Maxi. How, how safe is Maxi? Uh, being, you know, could he be traded? Because I know he's been mentioned a few times. Like when the James Harden shit was all going down, Maxi's name was thrown in there a couple of times. How safe is he on this roster? Because I love him. Yeah, I, I, I love I, him too. But I mean, you, who you you have to get somebody who is going to make an extreme impact right away. Uh, but. Trade of the offseason for any team. Hard to argue against Seth Curry for Jason Richardson for the Sixers right now. He is shooting above 50% from the field. He's shooting above 50% from three-pointers. He's shooting freaking 100% from the free-throw line run. How is that possible? Yeah, remember, remember the first week when he, like, missed, like, three threes in, like, two games, and people were like, see, like, even Philly could ruin Seth Curry. It's like, no, shut up. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. He's incredible. He fucking is exactly who we thought he was. He, I mean, it shows how genius Daryl Morey is just being like, he came in like fucking Marie Kondo. He just looked at the room and was like, we need to change that. We need to change that and fucking change this shit r- real fucking fast. And it was perfect. Like the feng shui, you walked in and it was like a whole new room. It was like bright and fucking wide open and fucking Seth Curry's splashing threes and Danny Green's Ding up and the fucking futon looks beautiful. I, I can't um, say how much I admire that man. Exactly. And he did it without tearing down the infrastructure of the entire place and while still keeping the freaking futon. It looks yeah. beautiful in that. It house. looks incredible. It incredible. Looks- All right, booze, let's get to the voicemails. 
What's up, guys? I think I actually got disconnected. Um, my name is Luke Stansfield. I write for Fourth and John, where a column that kind of covers uh, some Eagle stuff. We started off as a tailgate place, uh, but now we do, and now we do a little bit of other things. Um, I wrote an article today about the five steps that led to the breakup between Carson Wentz and the Eagles, um, and I'd like to to know what you guys think about it. The first one is uh, the absence of Frank Reich. Uh, then the second one is Carson Wentz's injuries. Third is Harry Roseman's roster management and talent acquisition. Fourth is drafting Jalen Hurts. And then fifth is the uh, the final fight before the divorce and it's the 2020 season. Uh, I would like to see what you guys uh, feel about those five points. Uh, fourth and John, great stuff. Go check them out. I don't disagree with any of them five points. I'm trying to think if there's anything to be added. Uh, John DeFilippo leaving, I think, hurt a little bit. But then again, um, that's only because he was there for a season after Frank Wright. And Frank Wright was like good cop. DeFilippo was bad cop. Um, I think they worked well together. But I think those five points, pretty on point. I think that one you have to kind of add in there is just the fracturing of the relationship with Doug Peterson. And I don't think that that was just the 2020 thing. I think that they have had like a slow but like precipitous fallout between them. I think that that has kind of come over time. And I think that the trust has kind of eroded. And I don't think that you even get to his point of Jalen Hurts being drafted if there isn't like a a lack of trust between those two guys. And I guess it's fostered through the Nick Foles situation. And I guess that that bred some insecurity in Carson Wentz. But at the same time, as I said before, I don't really have that much patience for uh, like nursing someone's insecurity if they're getting paid 130, whatever million dollars. So uh, I think that there's like an erosion in that relationship. And I don't know if you can kind of pinpoint the time when it happened, but it definitely played into why we're in such a shitty mess right now. And that's probably why Doug wanted to get out of town too. Yeah. And uh locker room happy crap didn't help Carson Wentz's cause either. Whoever that leak was saying that he just throws the Zach Gertz cough, cough, Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, you know, I bet you that didn't help Carson Wentz and his ego and his performance in the end as well. And that, however small it might be in the long run, definitely contributed in my mind. What of those, what of those factors do you, would you say is the least that play, what should play into it the least of the ones that, that uh, our guy just listed? My thought is injuries. I'd agree. Definitely injuries. You see, but the injuries is what quote unquote led to everything else. So you could argue that it was most Carson Wentz doesn't tear his ACL. Nothing happens. Like he still should be a superstar here. He doesn't get a concussion against the Seahawks. Howie Roseman might not at least use that as an excuse to draft uh, Jalen Hurts in the second round. Uh, he, he Carson Wentz doesn't, you know, miss the year before when Nick Foles had to come back in uh, with the back injury I mean, injuries. I, I think, have amounted to a lot mentally uh, for Carson Wentz. And, uh, I mean, physically, he clearly wasn't the same player as he's been before. Um, you'd hope the injuries he has sustained on the field aren't the reason for that. But I, I would argue injuries is, is, is Carson's. Biggest. Don't a lot of quarterbacks sustain injuries? Like, I, I think a lot of top quarterbacks have gone through at least some types of injuries. I mean, 
I know this is a really long time ago, but Tom Brady towards ACL, Matt Castle came in, they still went on 11 and five. Like, you know what I mean? Like the next year, do you think they were like, Oh, well, Tom Brady's never going to be the, the same ever again. So let's uh, maybe keep Matt Castle as our quarterback. Like they were not thinking that I'm not saying Carson Wentz is Tom Brady by any means, but I don't think, I think when Carson Wentz came back from his first ACL injury, I think he played pretty well. He, I mean, he led us to the playoffs when we were kind of a dog shit team with nothing around him. Uh, he, he, you're skipping a year. He didn't play that well when he came back. That's the year he was five and seven when uh, Foles took over and led him to the playoffs. And then the year after that, when he was full recovery oh, okay. with the JV squad, he threw for 4,000 yards and a great TD to interception ratio. But um, I mean, without, without the, without the, I'm just using the, the injuries as a, a catalyst to everything else. Cause if he doesn't tear his ACL in 2017 or get any of those other injuries, I don't think we're in this situation. Yeah. Fellas, what's going on? It's Pat from Westchester. Sitting at work right now. I just don't get why this city, more so the media, they, we, they don't want us to be happy as residents of the city. You know, the flyers shit pump the cap 7-4 last Sunday and the night before the Sixers get a massive win against the Nets even though Katie didn't play that's fine I don't care and we're still talking about Carson Wentz I want us to be happy I want to turn on you know first time long time and and hear Ronan Smitty smile I want to be able to hear and see those smiles through the podcast but um this city just wants us to only focus on Wentz but there's other things to focus on. How do we stay positive as a city? How do we not let, you know, our love for the Eagles make us forget about the love we have for our, these other great teams in the city right now? Love the show, fellas. First time, long time. Peace. I try to be po- – I can only be as positive as these teams let me. At the end of the day, I, I, I can't lie. I can't say that I'm fucking thrilled with a fucking – the sixth overall pick in the draft because I'm not, like – it's super disappointing. Like it, 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 the joy is disingenuous if you're always fucking happy through all the shit. I'm still trying to find a way to be positive. I'm still trying to look ahead, and even through the shit like we've eaten, I feel like I've been trying to stay on top of it. But at the same time, though, like it, it I we can't be positive unless they start making the right fucking decisions. Like we can't be positive until we have some fucking championships around here. We have too much fucking. We're in too big of a market. We have. Too many, too much money. We have too many teams. We have too many fucking cracks at the apple to fucking just be okay with, uh, you know, with, with uh, mediocrity. And I don't think it's mediocrity across the board. And there are uh, moments of brightness, but like, I, I need more of it. It feels too good. I'm a fiend. I'm a junkie for those fucking good moments. And so I'm going to be on my team's ass until they have those good moments. And this is also a football town. If the Sixers were in the Eagles situation right now uh, in the offseason, I don't think we'd be talking about it as much. But when it comes down to it, I mean, the Eagles, they, they're, they're your buddy who was on the top of the world three years ago. And then you just watch your buddy just, just – just fall apart right in front of your eyes and just building himself down and it's all it's all his fault and there's nothing you can do about it you're rooting for him you're doing everything you can to try to build him back up you want to put him in rehab you want to smack him around and say come on man 
You have this. You have so many people around. You have such a great support system, but you're just a fucking loser. Just pick it up, man. I hate to see this organization and my buddy just be dragged to the seventh level of Dante's freaking inferno hell for no reason. For no reason. There's no reason yep. they should be in this spot three years after they ascended into heaven for the first time ever. Yeah, there's nothing worse th- than wasted talent. Nothing worse in life than wasted talent. And like in a in a city that should be able to acquire all these fucking brilliant minds from the top down, like we should be talented organizations from the front office to the fucking coaching staff that they hire to the players that they select. Like we should be able to foster talent. And it feels like we're wasting, if not the talent, the opportunity to have talent. And uh, that's not a great feeling. Booze. Fired up. JJ Reddick fucks. Seconded. Does he fuck that much more than Corkmaz, though? I just don't want JJ Reddick to come into town and us to feel like we need to feed JJ Reddick fucking an incredible amount of, uh, of, of fucking shot attempts. You know, I, I want JJ Reddick around. I like JJ Reddick, but I don't want to give up too much for him. And I don't want to fucking cater to JJ Reddick. Like, if he wants to come back, he needs to get in where he fits in, and that's being a member of the bench mob in a rotation with fucking Shake, Maxi, and Furcon at the guard spot. Here's a question for you: Do like a co- when JJ Reddick left, he kind of trashed the city of Philadelphia on a podcast or something. He he didn't not have some nice words to say about JJ or about the city of Philadelphia and the Sixers. Do you want a guy back who has said those kinds of things? If my memory calls correctly, which it usually doesn't, I believe that he was more or less upset about Brett Brown and not about the city or anybody else. But we'll do some double checking on that. And uh, I agree. I think he wanted to come back. I think he wanted a contract. I think he, he was upset the Sixers waited. And also, I am trading Furcon for JJ Reddick straight up. Sorry, Furcon. Like, but here's your yeah. here's your visa. Go have fun in New Orleans or wherever the fuck you want to get. Like, fine. See ya. I also think that Reddick back as the sixth man off the bench, seventh man. I think that Reddick likes playing with Embiid too. I think that that's one of his favorite uh, players that he's played with. And I think that they had a nice little relationship going on there. So, I mean, it it will be helpful. He's a dead eye shooter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were saying last year that if he was the sixth man, it would have changed the entire franchise. But love me some JJ. Why not? Okay, time for a little bit of that fucking guy where we relive the memories of a specific Philly sports guy or girl that uh, had something to do with, uh, you know, the Philly Sixers, Eagles Flyers, or, or anything else Philly-related where you might not have thought of them in years, decades, generations, but the second you do, you'd be like, ah, I remember that fucking guy. So, uh, Rune, what do you got first? So my that fucking guy is not that old of a fucking guy. He's actually only 30 years old, but in some ways it feels like he played in Philadelphia a long fucking time ago. This guy uh, is a a basketball player for the Sixers. Uh, He was actually a big man for the Sixers. And for me, no one encapsulates the process more than this fucking guy he might have only played 
I think he played for two seasons for the Sixers. Uh, he had a, a weird little career, but for one, uh, one of the seasons, he, start, he was in 73 games, and he started 32 of them. And he was our center at that time. Who am I talking about? Henry Sims? Henry Sims. <laughs> that fucking guy. Henry Sims. It. Fucking nailed it. You, you nailed it right away. Henry Sims, one year in Philly, averaged 11.8 points a game. How many times they were talking about him as like the, the center we could maybe, like, oh, maybe we'll have him for a few years. Maybe he could be a good backup. Henry that fucking Sims. guy. No, the poster child of the process, arguably, some way, somehow. You can argue that Henry Sims is the person who changed forward. On that note, we mentioned it last episode. I, I, I forgot we had Christian Wood come through the process. That oh, yeah. Man. Christian Wood, Grant for Detroit, who's absolutely tearing it up right now. Rashawn Holmes that we saw last night. A couple good players come through. And, and then the obvious, like, uh, Holiday. And, uh, well, I guess you couldn't say Michael. TJ. TJ McConnell's fucking spinning. Yep, TJ mm-hmm. McConnell. But he left on his own accord. Like, I would love TJ McConnell back as a backup point guard. They need a backup point guard. But, uh, yeah, Henry Sims. <laughs> what, a, what a name. What a name. I mean, it's crazy how many of those guys are still in the league, and Henry Sims is just completely out of commission. He's playing in Europe right now uh, at 30 years old. He is playing uh, – where the fuck is he playing? Some Like, maybe in Spain or some bullshit like that. I'm not even sure. Henry Sims, though, is out here in the world. Yeah, Bologna. He's playing at Pompeii, Bologna. So, uh, Henry Sims, 2012 draft, fucking uh, an all-time process name. John Kelly, who's your guy? All right. Uh, I apologize if we've done this one before, but that just means you guys should get this name quicker. Okay, so this guy last pitched in an MLB game for the Phillies in 2007. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait uh, 49 innings. 544 ERA, not very good, obviously. Guy's got six fingers. Uh, Antonio Alfonseca. I knew that was going to be. I was just going to say that. But wait, did you know he? So he won the World Series in 1997 with the Marlins. I did not remember that. He also led the NL in saves in the year 2000 with 45 and won the Relief Man of the Year. That did not. What? What Antonio did we get? Uh, well, I mean, we got the washed-up Antonio with his finger falling off. But, uh, no, Antonio Alfonseca was was a stalwart bullpen pitcher. Played for the, the Cubs, had a couple good seasons. I was happy when we got him. Uh, he is the person who I reference uh, when my wife is afraid that our child is going to be born with, like, extra fingers or something. <laughs> I would love that. Are you kidding me? You know Didn't, he... Didn't you get on that slider if you're giving me an extra digit? Is that an is that an advantage having an extra finger when you throw the ball? That's an advantage, right? Like that's I wouldn't call it a disadvantage. I thought that he wore number 24 because he had six fingers on each of his hands and toes. So he had 24 total digits and he wore number 24. Am I making that up? What a flex if that's true. <laughs> I might be making that up, but I'm pretty sure that that's true, though. I thought that he had six on each hand, six on each toes, and he wore number 24. Confirmed. He does have six toes as well. Crazy. See? All right, Booze. All right, so I'm going with the Phillies as well. We we acquired this guy in 2009, was a big part of the 2009 run in the World Series. He was actually an all-star in 2009 as well. Fucking nailed it. You guys Damn. are on today. Well, I, I don't think people realize 
just how good of a first half Raul Banyas had in 2009. People, it made people forget about Pat Burrell real quick. Oh, yeah. 20 home runs in the first half. He had 34 home home runs that entire season. Uh, He, as a Philly, he hit 70 home runs in his three years with the Phillies and batted, uh, he had 260 RBIs as a Philly. Like, in just three years. Like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and he went on to uh, be a hero for the Yankees. He played for the Mariners for, like, 20 years. And he was a frequent visitor to uh, Grand Slam USA in Melbourne. And uh, all-around good guy. Great cages. But but circle of trust right here, fellas. Do we think that Raul Abanez was on the juice? Because that dude was jacked as, like, an old guy. Dude, I was just going to say, my memories of Raul Abanez, other than that first half, was I would go to Mets games and fight with the Mets fans because they were all like, this guy's juicing. And then that quote came out, remember? He just said, if you want, uh, I'll show you my stool. I think that was his after-game quote one time. It wouldn't surprise me. I'll be honest with you. I mean, he was a big fucking guy. Yeah, I'm not going to accuse anybody of uh, doing anything, but, you know. If that helped him shack 34 home runs when he was like 38 years old, why not? Doesn't bother me. All right. I have a uh, a little bit of an off kilter. Who's this effing guy? Uh, Let me try to get it. Uh, So my person was uh, Phillies related. Was he a part of the organization? Some might say, some might not. Uh, it was a character, more or less, in the uh, early 2000s of the vet. I think it crossed over to the bank, but you can often hear him in the background. And he was everybody the- hits. Everybody hits. <laughs> woo! <laughs> everybody hits. Woohoo, guy! Everybody hits woohoo. You can hear him on TV broadcasts. They started out ignoring him, and then everybody everybody brought into the everybody hits. I wonder what the everybody hits guys are doing now. He's not like that old. So I don't even think I ever saw him, but I definitely heard him. And uh, I heard that he used to like find the microphones in the stadium or like he would find out where to be. So he was like closer. I don't know if it was like a certain camera had a mic on it, but I heard that he would kind of, uh, he would hunt them out. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, was he like a derivation of, doesn't the, the Cubs have like a Ronnie woo woo or something like that? Like, did he do it to try and get on the broadcasts or I, I, there has to be something conscious about it. Right. Or did, was it just organically happen? I, I, I watched a little documentary on him today, and the documentary looks like it's from, like, 2004, 2005, because they're still at the vet, so, I mean, before 2003. He's, like, a middle-aged guy. He grew up going to the ballpark with his dad, and he just loves rooting for the Phils. Like, I don't know. Uh, true story, I was going to do Pistachio Girl uh, of the mid-2000s or uh, 2010 fame, and uh, figured not exactly <laughs> correct. Well, was she a Nazi or something? Yeah, I mean, she had her flaws. Of course she did. That's quite a big flaw. <laughs> people, people don't remember, Pistachio Girl was uh, in the stands basically uh, singing about peanuts and Cracker Jacks and went semi-viral in the early internet days, uh, probably internet 2.0, and a picture like Jess from New Girl just singing about, like, peanuts and Cracker Jacks in the stands. It was very endearing until... Uh, 
somewhere or another, it came out she was a white supremacist. So, Pistachio Girl got canceled before the woke culture got to her. So, and yeah. rightfully so. What are you going to do? She was nuts. Um, damn. Good, uh, good go around, fellas. Those were some, uh, some nice blasts from the past. Uh, all right, we'll wrap up real quick. Let's little Flyers update. Tied for the first in the East with 18 points. They're tied with Boston, who for some reason they just can't beat. Booze, you want to go off about the boys? Yeah, I mean, that, that one caller left the voicemail is right. Great fucking game. Way to battle back against Washington uh, on Sunday, putting up a touchdown, um, which you love to see on Super Bowl Sunday nonetheless. But I'm, I can't stress this enough, guys. Their defense fucking sucks time after time they leave carter hart and brian elliott out to dry there's nobody big enough there's nobody strong and physical enough ivan provorov can't do it himself and it's gonna end up costing this team greatly now on the other side on the offensive side james van reemsdyke is having a hell of a fucking year fourth in points in the league he's now on a seven game point streak which is just crazy because i think a lot of people when when the Flyers brought him back, he didn't produce right away. And a lot of people were like, well, why the fuck do we bring the shell of James Rand Reams like back? Like, what the fuck is this? And now he's really playing. He's playing incredible and he's paying his weight. And you love to see it. It's just the, the thing that the Flyers, Chuck Fletcher needs to figure out by the trade deadline is we need more defense. I don't care who you got to give up. Shane Goss' bear can't be in there. He's too small. I mean, he hasn't lit up anything this year. I mean, he's played. It's great. Good for him. I'm, I'm happy to have him back. I love me some ghost, but. We need physicality, and there's none of that right now. It's going to end up costing the Flyers. Booze, what happened at the end of that Bruins game the other night? I had the Flyers uh, – I had over five and a half goals, and that's not how I wanted to get to they fucking shit the bed. goals. They just shit the bed because it, it's it's honestly – you could – you could, you almost know now. Every time we go up two goals or a goal, you know they're going to blow that lead. And, uh, you know, we've been playing pretty well in overtime, but that time – and also – penalties dumb fucking penalties fuck the flyers up dramatically you know what i mean like they, they could have brought that game against the bruins to a shootout if they really wanted to or continue to go further into overtime but scott lawton hits a dumb penalty at the end of the game and uh go into overtime man down and they they end up scoring on them it's that things need to be figured out they got to grow up a little bit still the number one team in the east though Tied with the team that we can't beat. Yeah, with the fucking Bruins, who we just lost to twice. Yeah. So I think overall, Elaine Vigneault is going to ship this team up to where they need to be, and it is still early. Uh, mind you, it's a shortened season, but I think they – if Chuck Fletcher knows what he's doing, which I think he does, we'll have some uh, we'll have some defense and some help by the end of the season. I, I do think it's worth mentioning, by the way. I, am, I just read a damning article. I sent it to Booze. I'm worried about the rest of the NHL season. They are the Flyers are off this entire week. They've had every game canceled. It's not looking good. It's not looking good for the boys who two years in a row now are fighting for the top spot in the East, not maybe even the league, and they get this kind of luck. I mean, it's more important, obviously, that everybody's healthy, but it just sucks. It sucks that this COVID is affecting the NHL this way. It's affecting our Flyers, and I don't know how much hockey we're going to have. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep it going. Kudos to the NBA for figuring this shit out. Yeah. Uh, might happen in the NBA too, because they're not exactly in a bubble either. So 
who knows? The Flyers are off until Sunday against the Devils because of COVID, correct? They, they can't even play against the Devils, it looks like, because the Devils have more cases than the Flyers do. I mean, the Devils had 14 positive tests last week, which is like their starting lineup, their goalies, their backups. Like, it's ridiculous that the Devils have been just completely plagued by COVID-19. And uh, the Flyers had a couple of positive tests, Claude Giroux uh, included. So now it's it's kind of like a waiting game, wait and see, and, and pray that we can get back on the ice in the next week. Wrap it up with the Phillies real quick. couple news and notes. Phil Gosselin, Melvin Prep's finest, back with the minor league deal, which I don't hate. Kid slung last year when he was in there. Uh, and Bryce Harper personally brought his boy from the Marlins, his Las Vegas friend, uh, Kinsler, over a nice little bullpen arm help he had like 12 saves last year he's not the best but he's not the worst he's definitely better than what the Phillies have in the bullpen so the Phillies can bring over somebody like that a week just to fill in the bullpen okay I'm happy you know where I'm at with the Phillies I've been trying to diagnose my apathy towards the Phillies and it's like why do I not care more about the Phillies why am I not more engaged with a team that seems like they have a pretty good roster like it seems like they're re-signed the guys that we're supposed to re-sign like but And I think it comes down to how shitty the farm system is and has been. Their complete inability to fucking create any type of uh, – they're all basically to, to foster their own talent, to be able to build up their own players at the end of the day is what's keeping people from being excited about people for a long time. It's like uh, uh, JT, Bryce, fucking DD. Segura fucking all these position players have been brought in from other teams. So it's like, who is the last prospect that they drafted and have been able to turn into anything? Like I looked at Keith Law's, uh, his rankings of the minor league systems. Our system is ranked 27th. That fucking sucks, dude. That's not fucking good. And we've been bad. We've had fucking bites at the apple. We've had a lot of cracks at it to try and get these top players. And we fucking whiffed. It's like it, that's something that uh, if you if we look back over the last half a decade of what's really fucked the Phillies, it hasn't really been as much as them hanging on to the uh, World Series guys from the half decade before that. I think that not drafting and not being able to capitalize on how shitty they got and fucking bounce back from rock bottom as maybe the Sixers did that's kind of been the story of the Philadelphia Phillies I mean, you're not 100% wrong and it's not going to get much better under Dombrowski because uh yeah he's known for just completely decimating farm systems to bring up World Series champions or like the Tigers people who get to the World Series but uh the, the Phillies have a couple people here and there uh bomb at their base um who bomb or broom uh bomb yeah, bomb at their base, who who was exciting last year. He was up for rookie of the year. He's going to excel. Uh, Spencer Howard, who might not Reese. even be allowed to pitch, but like if they don't put a Steven Strasburg cuckold on him, like he's going to be half decent. And yeah, Reese, who admittedly I love Reese as a person. He needs to get his shit together behind the pool or in the batter's box because like he's not gonna he's not gonna be around him much longer if he's not producing the way he needs to produce when at first base when are we going to be able to say that mickey moniac is a bust i wouldn't see mickey Moni- wow. who is a huge story and i like drafted at 18 years old during a, a draft that at the time did not have that Bryce Harper to draft at number one, that Strasburg, that, that consensus number one pick. So the Phillies, 
like took a chance with with Moniak to, to to think that he would be a uh, starter, not a superstar, a starter at the time. In which right now, like he's not even a starter. So I I think it sucks that he was drafted number one overall for for him because I don't think he was ever going to be that number one overall pick. It also kind of put pressure on him, I guess, to kind of be that guy, even though because he was drafted number one overall in the MLB draft, like that puts pressure on you right away as an 18 year old kid. Like that fucks with your, 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 your psyche a little bit. Not saying he's going to be a Mark Appel, but like he, I think he could be a, a, a useful starter in the game one day. a la Shane Victorino, which, you know, be that would be awesome, but Shane Victorino was like a fucking uh, Rule Five guy or whatever. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. we we uh, cultivated Victorino ourselves. I just I feel I just am having a hard time feeling bad for dudes who were first overall picks and are getting paid fucking hundreds of millions of dollars and shit like that. It's just like I at, at what point do we like we can't you can't be the victim if you got if you like got what you worked your whole life for. Like it, and are in like a fortuitive enough situation. Like I, I just don't, I, I, I can't like if give him and Markel Fultz and Carson Wentz. Like I can't give him this, this, this leash. Like we, that you just have to perform. Like it's, it is what it is, or just you just have to deal with the consequences. And you're not wrong, but Maniac's situation was so unique because there was no like consensus no more. If you look back at that draft, uh, who's the pitcher from the Braves now uh, that like is absolutely slinging? Ian Anderson, I believe his name is. Soroka too, right? Ian Anderson, yep. Yeah, Ian Anderson. Like, yeah, like if you can look back at it, I'd get Ian Anderson in that draft. But at the time, there just wasn't that player who like you should have should should and could have drafted. And and yeah, I feel bad for Maniac. Hopefully he does end up being the starting center fielder for the Phillies, who for some reason, or maybe not for some reason, but are 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 thinking about possibly giving Odubel another shot. But it's not just – I'm not even trying to single out Moniac. Uh, I think that it's it, – we've had multiple top picks. Like, it, it's, we've had other guys at the top of the fucking – like, Cornelius Randolph and shit. Like, fucking there's been – I mean, how long ago was that? But fucking Greg Golson and shit. Like, we, we've had a lot of fucking guys for a fucking long-ass time. I guess Greg Golson was a long-ass time ago. But still, fucking J.P. Crawford even. Like, fucking what – like these dudes yeah. are, did not turn into the players that we thought they were going to be, who are our top overall draft picks. Well, JP Crawford is having a kind of a resurgence in uh, Seattle, and we did get secure for him, so we did get a little bit of value. Uh, but yes, I agree, he should have been worth more. But Aaron Noah, also a top ten pick. Don't forget about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, baseball is so tough because in any oh. other sport, you're seeing a, a way faster return on your investment, but. Plus, there's 20 freaking rounds. Like, I don't know what's going on there. So, on a positive note, though, remember the name. Mick Abel, the the pitcher the Phillies selected this past June. He, all reports are that the Phillies may have gotten a fucking steal at 15. I got my dynasty draft coming up in the next couple months. We're like a couple years in. I might take Mick Abel. I might, you know, I'm a homer, but. Let's go. Greatest baseball name of all time. You look up his stats, or not his stats, his high school highlights. Kid's got some sauce on his pitches. Let's go. Sauce Mickey and Mickey Abel. Also, out of all the Barstool personalities, uh, him and White Sox Dave hitting it off. 
Nick Abel and White Sox Dave? Why not? Is that a good, that a good thing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, hold on. I don't know if that's, all that's, I do that's know a good is, thing. All that I do know is, like, he slid into Nick Abel's DMs, like, before he was drafted because the White Sox are going to draft him uh, or thinking about drafting him, and they communicated. And then after he was drafted, uh, I slid into his DMs and got nothing. So He's going to teach him how to throw 96, right? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Abel will teach White Sox Dave how to grow. <laughs> figure it out. All right, that wraps up first time, long time. A little personal note here for the listeners. We love doing this, uh, but we are officially an unsanctioned Barstool Sports Podcast. We're doing this for the love of the game right now. Nothing more, nothing less. And if you really enjoy what you're hearing and what we're doing, uh, we got guys killing it on social media. We want to do the more Philly stuff uh, as possible. I, I, I don't want to speak for our own, but like if we could do Philly fucking stuff 24 seven, like that'd be awesome. The problem is uh, again, we're on sanction. So please, by all means, spread the word around, give five stars on the app, subscribe, because if we can show that, like, you know, this puppy can hit the charts without quote unquote Barstool's help, it only helps even more. So if you want more Philly content, there's only so much time that we can devote you know, outside the lines right now. So if you want more, show us and uh, we'll be more than happy to give more. So we'll start doing, like we we, we get to a certain amount, we'll just start doing live shows. We'll go to McGillan's, we'll go to Barnaby's Ashton. We'll we'll go to Sidebar Westchester. We'll go to Miller's Ale House in the Northeast. We'll go to wherever you need us to go if this really gets legs so please so yeah some of the barstool fun spots we'll go out to ye old yeah. house or billy murphy's billy murphy's tavern in fucking east falls don't we'll forget pika's in upper darby pika's yes all day because i mean, forget the short spots we'll live in seattle we will live in seattle if we need to if we must yes i will do it if i have to john kelly knows about those 302s yeah. <laughs> let's go all right we'll see you next time we'll hang up and listen Thank uh-huh.